Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough, coming to you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a cool program for you all today. I have no doubt you will learn, grow, and be inspired by today's show. Before we get into our main event, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and subscribe. Your likes and follows help ensure you won't miss any of our new shows, and it makes the algorithm gods happy, which helps us. So thanks for that. Also, be sure to visit our website, notrealart.com. Sign up for our newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse of everything we're doing here at Not Real Art for artists and our lovers. A lot of great stuff there. On the website, you'll see you'll get uh, free educational videos. You can sign up for our artist grant for the chance to receive two thousand dollars. Can buy affordable original contemporary art through our partnership with Sugar Press. And you can become a supporter through Patreon if you want. So be sure to check out our website today for all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today's episode is a special one because we are going to feature one of our six 2021 art grant winners, Nadia Duff. Nadia Duff in the house, who hails from Miami Beach, Florida. Nadia's work in portraiture is phenomenal. I just love her style. It's just it exudes energy and passion and love and joy. And she is actually just a source of joy and passion and love. I mean, I just love her energy. She's so fantastic. You know, Jamaican-American artist, you know, teaches art as well. You'll hear about this in the interview. But I mean, obviously, being a teacher in this country is just so critical. They do God's work, right? Frontline workers, uh, firefighters, teachers. I mean, they get paid pennies. They don't get paid anything. And yet they do it because they know that they're called to do it. And so Nadia Duff is called to be an art teacher as well. And we all know that so many times, you know, being an artist, it's, it's not a job, it's a calling. I mean, we don't have a choice. But in addition to her calling as an artist, she also is an arts educator and teaches kids about art. So we get into that and uh, we just learn about Nadia and her history and her background and her life. It's, I tell you what, she's had some struggles. She's triumphed. She's overcome those struggles and they've informed her work. And you're going to hear about those struggles and, and how she's turned those into opportunities and a force for good in her life and in, and in the world. And so anyway, I think you're going to love this. Without further ado, let's get into this wonderful conversation with Nadia Duff, one of our winners from our 2021 Not Real Art Grant for Artists. Here we go. Nadia Duff, welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome, welcome. This show is all about you. You won our 2021 Not Real Art Grant for Artists. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity, for everything. Thank you. You are so welcome. You deserve it. Now, according to your CV, you are the recipient of several grants over the years. You've been pretty prolific and, and accomplished over the years. Yeah, I not grants per se, but every year I try to enter something because, you know, I feel like if you're not mm -hmm. showing your work, nobody's going to see your work. So I try there to enter go. something every year just on a whim, you know, anything. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's really great. Well, now you've entered one for 2021. You've got one in the net, in the back of the net, as they say. Yes. And yes, yes. I'm just so happy for you. And everybody loves your work. You know, all the judges were just so excited about having you as one of the recipients. Wonderful. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Excellent. Excellent. So we want to have you on the podcast because it's part of the deal. Like we just love to celebrate you as one of the recipients and uh, help you tell your stories and promote your work. But you're not a newcomer to podcasts. I mean, you even have your own podcast. Tell us a right, little bit about right. your podcast. 
So my podcast is, I guess you could call it history-based. It's called Invention Tension. And I go over certain things that were invented that we can't get rid of, like time, clocks, and money, and those kind of things, and how we live with these things, and why we live with these things, and why we can't change these things. So, And then I do like a song segment where I sing a song at the end of it based on everything. So yeah, I only have three episodes so far, but... It's something I want to do long term. That's amazing. So I love the concept. And clearly you're getting into an area that is requires a lot of pre-production. I mean, this, you know, what's nice about the interview format, right, is that we can sort of just log in and chop it up and talk about all kinds of things. There's not a whole lot of pre-production that goes into this particular podcast. Your podcast, clearly you have a lot of research, you have a lot of work, a lot of writing. And then apparently you even perform a song at the end of it. That's incredible. (laughs) <laughs> yes. I'm, trying, I'm doing everything. I'm all over the place. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's, it's it's amazing, right? I mean, because you're an artist and you're creating and, and it doesn't matter the medium. Maybe some artists like to focus on one medium, but clearly, you know, in some ways you're a multidisciplinary right. uh, artist. And so because you do this musical component to your podcast, clearly you love to sing and maybe even write songs. I mean, has yeah. music been a part of your, your life? Yeah. Okay. I'm very tempted, Nadia, by the way. Nadia, I'm very tempted right now, by the way, to put you on the spot and ask you to to sing, uh, (laughs) to sing a song. Oh no. You know, it's my birthday today, Nadia. Can you sing me happy birthday? Of course I can sing you happy birthday. Yeah, I know. I know. Just kidding. It's not my birthday. I wouldn't put you on the spot, but I, oh yes. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I, (laughs) I guess we'll have to wait for the podcast. I love the name Invention Tension. Yeah. Invention Tension. Only That's three so episodes, cool. but That's you know. So, so what are the inventions that give you the most tension in your life? Definitely time. The concept of looking at it and having to be confined to it. That's what gives me tension. Like, oh, I got to get this done by so-and-so time. And this other person's getting it done at so-and-so time, but their time is different than our time. Like they're six, they're five, they're four. So this idea of being confined to time, I feel like days where I don't look at the clock are like the best days that I have. So it's just time per se. And money, of course, money's a thing for everybody. But, yeah, you know, right. Some we, have it, some right, don't. Right. Yeah. These artificial man-made measurements and restraints or constraints or that dictate our lives. I mean, they, they truly are. They're unnatural. Right. Right. And they just came and they're here to stay. So that's, you know, that's why it's a tension. It's like, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. You just got to deal with it and find ways to, to deal with it, right? <laughs> you got to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it's about. And then the songs, you know. Yeah, you do have to deal with, you know, this year for me, it's like one of the things that I've been doing to try to slow time down because I'm a lot older than you are. I turned 50 last year. And I'm 51 this year. And when I turned 50, and I don't give a shit about the number, that's not the case. But what I realized is that the 50 years had gone by like that, you know, and part of the reason why it had gone by so quickly, I think, was because I worked really hard to try to do a lot all the Mm -hmm. time, like pack it all in, you know, like a lot of activity. And then what I realized at 50, it was like, well, wait a minute. I got a lot done in 50 years, so that's cool. But like it went by really fast. So if the motto of my life for the first 50 years was like, use my time, pack it in, you know, get things done. I think the motto of my life moving forward is about savoring my time. Mm, Yes. Like trying to slow it down, right? Right. Because it's it's only going one way. Right. uh, and I want to, you know, so, so I bring that up because I, this year I started meditating and mm-hmm. I tell you what, it's been a wonderful way to kind of slow time down and help me yes. savor the moment. Do you meditate? What are some of your spiritual practices? I do. I do meditate. I used to meditate often, but I've developed tinnitus where it's kind of like a ringing in your ear. So sometimes mm. the silence oh, is not so good sorry, for yeah. me. So it's like, I try to, and I found other ways to, you know, meditate with sound, you know? How did the tendonitis happen? Was that something that happened recently? Is that something you've been dealing with for a while? Yeah, maybe it happened maybe last year. And I think it's a symptom of anemia, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like blood flow. I don't really know the direct cause, but it's just something that could be mental. 
Right. It could just be something else, but it's there and I'm aware of it, but I know how to deal with it. So that's the good mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How has that impacted your creative practice? I mean, is it harder now to focus when you're creating or have you turned it into a motivational device? Like how has it impacted your practice? Not too much because I'm usually listening to something while I'm working. So I usually have noise Mm -hmm. around me. So Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. used to having noise, the Mm -hmm. silence. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been used to silence before, but now I'm more aware of it because of that noise in my, you know, my ear that's going on. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't affect my practice mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've learned to deal with it, like I said, in different ways. So, yeah, I'm still able to draw and do everything and, you know. Excellent. So how do you organize yourself for, for your practice? I mean, are you in the studio nine to five? Are you pretty rigorous about how you make your art? Or do you have a more of a fluid approach to your output and, and when you're in the studio? Like, take us through a typical day for you. So I'm an art teacher by day. So I'm an art educator. And when I get home, I'm tired. So I usually do art on the weekends. So I always tell myself I need to do something, Mm -hmm. something, any art thing, even if it's just start something in the weekend. And I work from my table. I don't really have a studio. It's just a table with some jars and markers and pens and everything that I need. So I try to do, I work pretty fast because it's, I'm working with nine by twelves usually, so it's not like large pieces of paper mm-hmm. that I'm working with. So once I start working, I just focus on that for the day. I, I work, I eat, and then I finish what I'm doing, and that's that's my process. I don't get to it every weekend, but you know I try to make something because sometimes you get consumed with work and getting the students to do art and teaching them about art that you kind of forget about your own art. And I try. I was like, I need to create so that doesn't happen to me. So yeah, I try to get something done every week or at least every two weeks. Yeah. So right now you're doing so much portraiture work and it's, you know, we just love your style and it's so cool. Thank you. And you've obviously got it down. Right. But I mean, I'm just curious, like for one portrait, you know, nine by 12 or whatever spec you're working to, do you have a sense of like, oh, you know, one portrait's going to take me three hours or six hours or eight hours? Like, do you kind of have it down to where you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to block out, eight, you know, X number of hours? Yeah, I know it will take me at least, at least four hours to complete one portrait. I know at least. And mm-hmm. it depends on when I start. Like, I start early in the morning mm-hmm. and I want to be done by like three o'clock so that I can spend after three o'clock right. to do other things. It doesn't take me that long because I know the process. I know how I'm going to approach it. I just don't know what exactly I'm going to put on the page yet, but I know I'm drawing someone and I'm going to be putting them somewhere that I want them to be. Let's talk about your models and the people in your portraits because I mean they seem like the coolest motherfuckers. Like like when I <laughs> like when I when I when I was just like looking through your work, you know, looking through your portraits, I'm like, I want to hang out with these people. It looks like Nadi's got some really dope friends. <laughs> so so let's understand your subjects a little better. Are these friends of yours? Or are they clients or a little bit of both? I mean, who are these cool no, people? Actually, in your I, portraits? I partnered with this app called Sketchy, Sketchy App. And the premise of Sketchy App is for people to put their pictures up and artists to draw them. Now, I was with Sketchy before it became an app. Like It was called Sketchy Miami, and it was a website, and the owner of it wanted a portrait of everybody in Miami. I mean, it was a grandiose thing, but I was like, let me participate in this. And what happened was I participated, and I drew a reporter. I didn't know it was a reporter. And she's like, oh, check out this app. Check out this website, Sketchy. So then it became an app, and now there's millions of people on it, and then it's awesome. But people are constantly putting their picture on there, and they kind of like give over their copyright to their picture. You're allowed to use this picture for whatever, whatever reason, and they want their portrait drawn. So a lot of artists use it for practice. I use it for developing full progress to work. So most of these people I don't know. Some I do, some I don't. And I just, I make it up. I make it up as I go. I, I take their face and I, I put them wherever I want them to be. Yeah. It, well, that's super cool. I didn't know about the app. That sounds really awesome. Yeah. It's awesome app. But I mean, what a great source of material for you. But you have such a distinctive style, you know, in terms of 
bringing these people to life. There's so much energy that exudes from these images. How did you get here? I mean, how did, I mean, obviously you're still, you know, every artist, right, is evolving and emerging from where they were if you're always growing and working. Mm -hmm. So I know that you hope to probably grow and evolve beyond, but I mean, take us through a little bit of your journey. And I want to go back. I will go back because I want to talk about your kids at school and the fact that you're arts educator, because Mm -hmm. that's so important. And that's, you know, know, I think they call that God's work. So (laughs) you and nurses and, you know, know, it's like first responders, right? Whatever. But I want to better understand first your journey in becoming an artist and in sort of finding yourself where you're at right now in your practice. Okay. So I've always been into art ever since elementary school, but I wasn't going to pursue a career in arts. I was pursuing medicine, actually. I went to like medical magnet schools and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I got into, well, I applied for cooking and they put me in art class. Cooking was full. So like, you got to take art. You got to take art one. I was like, okay, whatever. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and I got in it and I was really good at it. I'm going to be a doctor anyway. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I was really good at it. And I got my first like really good watercolor set from that class because she signed me up for like AP art. So I was like, okay, I got to get good stuff now. So I got a really good art watercolor set and I started painting like, like lion pictures, pictures of lions, lion manes and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, this is really good. This is something I could get into painting. So I went to, off to college, University of Florida, but I studied art education but we were able to take like all classes, like painting, sculpture, ceramics, everything. And when I got into painting class, it was black and white painting. We were painting still lives mostly. And I was like, okay, still lives are cool, but there's like somebody next door painting portraits that I want to, I want to take that class with the portrait painting. So I started with acrylic paint and I was just painting classmates' faces, faces of celebrities, things like that. It was acrylic and I liked acrylic because it dried really quickly and I could just keep adding layers and layers and layers on top of it. And then uh, I moved back home, but acrylic was like really too messy for my room. I was like, I can't keep painting acrylic in here. I needed something easier and something simpler, something cleaner that I could work with. And I found out about alcohol markers, like Copic markers. And then I, I was like, you know, I can replicate everything I'm doing with acrylic using these markers and using these pens. So that's what I started doing. I started doing pen portraits first, just plain pen, no color really, just like maybe, you know, those pens with the like four prongs and it's like pink and then blue and then green or red. Mm-hmm. And I was doing those kind of portraits. And then I started adding color on top of it with markers. And then I started adding color with the watercolor. Then I was like, maybe I could put acrylic back on this again. And I just kept layering things. And I was doing that for a while, maybe about three years. I was just doing these really layered portraits with solid backgrounds. And then my mom was like, you never do landscapes. That's what sells. You got to do landscapes. Nobody's going to buy a picture of somebody's face. You got to do landscapes. I was like, okay, fine. So I was like, let me draw something in the background of the portrait then. I'll do that because I don't want to just do landscapes. I love faces. I want to draw faces. So then I started doing the backgrounds, but then I was like, I don't want to do a detailed background because I feel like that will take away from the portrait. So I was like, maybe if I simplified the background and just made it like these random solid shapes, I don't even want it to be any kind of right perspective or anything. Just something there, they're in a space, and I want that detailed person to be in that space. So I guess that's where I'm at right now with the detailed people and kind of like cartoonish, simple backgrounds in the back. So that's where I'm at now. Well, the way you do it, I mean, it's it's such a compelling way to kind of frame the humanity of the person. You know, it's like, yeah, the background, I mean, there's always a background, right? But, you know, if you're really looking at somebody or seeing somebody, hopefully that background does kind of blur out, right? Like, and you're really seeing somebody, like whether it's your friend or your lover or whatever, it's like everything else kind of goes away. And then, boom, right. you know, you just, you see the the energy of that person, whether they're in right. or a stranger or whatever. And it's such a smart, clever, but yet simple. I mean, you know, there's genius and simplicity, right? But I mean, it's like such a thoughtful way of saying, no, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to make mom happy, but uh, (laughs) I'm going to really 
celebrate that person, you know, not take away from that. You know, I, love right. it. I absolutely love it. How would you, when people commission you for portraits, like what do you typically charge when people commission you? It depends. Usually I charge mm-hmm. by size. And by the way, if you don't want to talk numbers, <laughs> you can just say, I don't want to talk numbers. I'm just curious. I mean, you know, it depends. Your, your prices may go up I next mean, week. Yeah, right. right. It depends. Okay, good. It we'll depends. talk offline about it because, uh, yeah, my wife's birthday's coming up soon. So uh, maybe ooh, you know, we'll talk yes. about that later. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. So I want to go back, though, because clearly you're a smarty pants. I mean, most artists are smart anyway, but you were on track to become a, a doctor of some sort of work in medicine. So you've got the science, analytical, uh, left yeah. brain things going on in addition to the right brain stuff. So Talk about that a little bit. I mean, because why medicine? Was that just you just loved science or was your parents physicians? Like, like, how did you become uh, interested in medicine? Well, when I was younger, I got sick. I got really sick. I was diagnosed with leukemia and I went through that and I was like, you know, maybe this is something I want to help with because I've been through it. And I, you know, I really want to help with this disease and, and bring awareness to the disease. So my mom was like, yeah, do it. Go to school for it. I mean, being a doctor is good money. Do it. So I went to medical middle school, medical high school. And then like my senior year, I was like, no, I want to do art. I'm sorry. But I was going to do medical illustration. I was like, okay, maybe I can put the two together. There was a school in, I think, Ohio that, you know, specialized in medical illustration. And I was like, well, I do love medicine and I do love art, but I get more joy helping kids in my classroom be as good as me in the artwork that I'm doing. So I, I chose art education, but I still have all that medical knowledge, all that's still in there. Well, I'm sorry, but, and I don't mean to put you on the spot because, you know, listening to you talk, I get inspired, right? So I just had a thought. I just had an idea. I'm going to share it with you. you. Take it or leave it. You don't even have to respond. Mm-hmm. But I just saw this like somehow beautiful opportunity and you probably already thought about this. So forgive me if I'm telling you something you already know, but like, cause you're a, you're a leukemia survivor, right? And you want to give back and you want to help heal these kids. And I just wonder, have you ever worked with kids in, in hospital with leukemia to paint their portraits and give them some positive energy? Cause I could, I could see like whether you partnered with whatever the leukemia mm-hmm. kind of uh, nonprofit organization is that, that helps to raise money. You know, I don't know. It just it just seems like a, a wonderful fit. Yeah, it does. I've never I've never really considered it, but yeah, for sure. That's definitely something I'm gonna look into now. Go for it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I mean, how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was I think I was five. We had just moved to America from Jamaica in nineteen ninety five. Yeah. I was young. Yeah. Super scary for your parents. I'm a dad. I'm an older dad. I got two kids under eight and I can imagine how tough it was on your parents to go through that with you. Yep. We made it through though. Still here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're tough. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were five when you immigrated. How much does your heritage play into your work as a Jamaican American? And talk a little bit about that in terms of your journey here. I feel like a lot of the colors I use play into my Jamaican culture. Because if you look at Jamaican, traditional Jamaican art, it's very colorful. It's not dark or anything. It's like reds and pinks and purples and and bright yellows. So I feel like that's like innately what I use when I paint and when I add colors to things. And I like the idea of people too, because a lot of Jamaican art is like people at markets or people on boats or, you know, sceneries of Jamaica. So I feel like that plays in a lot with Mm -hmm. what I choose to put into like the backgrounds, a lot of the characters, like I'll have somebody at a lake with a boat or someone camping outside. It's usually something naturey, but like bright, vivid colors as well. So I feel like it's not like an intentional thing. It just kind of happened where that influence is there so I feel like that plays into it a lot. And my uncle, my uncle is also a painter mm-hmm. and he uses the same color palette that I use as well. So just vibrant colors, you know, pop. So he's a painter as well. Was he here in the States or is he back in Jamaica? He's in the UK. He's in the UK. 
in the UK. Yeah. Okay. Dude, so mm-hmm. have you guys ever collaborated? Have you ever painted or collaborated together in any way? Not really. Not really. He's older. He's living his life. We don't really, <laughs> we don't really collaborate. Uh, okay. He's, much, yeah, he's but, doing his thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> I gotcha. So do you still have people back in Jamaica? You get back? I mean, what is life like in Jamaica these days? I still have people there, but most of us are abroad now. We're in the UK, Miami, Canada, mm-hmm. New York. We're mm-hmm. all over the place. And I don't have any more grandparents. We used to go back for grandparents, but they've all passed. So right, we haven't really right. gone back at all. Yes. Really. Stay in the States. Yeah. Do you miss it? Do you look forward to going back? I mean, when I do go back, I enjoy it. I go back. I mean, the food is amazing. <laughs> I go back for the food and and. and yeah. Right. And right. for, you know, family. I do want to go back, but if I do go back, I'd probably go to a tourist area because I've never been to the touristy part of Jamaica. I've only just oh, been okay. home. So I'd like to visit the tourist part. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> There's more air conditioning over there, right? But, well, yeah, I ask in part because I've never been to Jamaica. I've been to Haiti a couple of times. I've been to the Bahamas. And that's about it. So I've never Uh been to Jamaica, but I've always wanted to go. I mean, it just seems like such a amazing place. Go. Everybody that goes loves it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I know. And the food, too. I've heard that about the food. (laughs) It's like, oh. I'm all about the food. Excellent. (laughs) All about the food. So talk about your studies. Uh, You said you went to the University of Florida. Is that correct? University of Florida. So you got your BA in, in art studies there, correct? Art education, yeah. Art education, right. So your intent was to graduate and teach art. Yes, yes. That was the intent. And that's what I did. Well, thank you, by the way, for making that choice. You know, I'm one of my great concerns is the defunding of arts education, you know, not just in this country, but around the world. Right. And you're on the front lines as an arts educator. What do people need to know about the state of arts education in this country and in Florida, for that matter? It all depends on the higher ups. If the higher ups are for art, then arts will get a lot of funding. Arts are important, not only because like a lot of schools and a lot of people believe that the way arts are set up in schools right now, is just a place to drop kids off. So that the other teachers can, you know, have a break and do what they got to do with planning. But art is just that space where they can just relax, listen to lo-fi hip hop music and just draw and just release and just create whatever they want. And a lot of art now is moving towards contemporary practice, meaning that a lot of discussions are happening in the art room now instead of just here, draw this and make it look pretty. We're moving towards, what do you think about this? Why are you drawing it this way? Why do you want to draw this? And, you know, getting students to think critically and conceptually about their own artwork and not just copy what I'm doing. And we'll just have something nice to give to your parents when the school day is over. So that's where, at least where I'm moving to and what a lot of art teachers now are promoting in terms of, you know, but what people want is things that look pretty, which is unfortunate. It's like, you know, if it doesn't look good, it's not going to get into this contest or that contest. And I know there's like a disconnect between, okay, I want to please these people and make the art look really good so their kids can hang it up on the wall. But then I want them to have these deep conversations about art and, and art practice and their own art practice. But I feel like, you know, once the funding's there and the support is there to not just create beautiful art, that we can make some really good changes and make civically responsible students that are, you know, interacting with the arts and they're even in their own communities too, like the sculptures in their communities and all that stuff. How old are the kids that you work with? Well, I'm an itinerant teacher, which means that I travel and I work from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. It depends on the day. That's great. So you get, yeah, you get to touch all the minds, right, <laughs> so to right, speak, right? right? Like right. the young and the older, like the teenagers. And yeah, that's that's beautiful that you get that option. What, as a teacher, right? I mean, there's so much for people who I guess are, well, old like me, right? Like I hear people talk all the time. It's like, oh, you know, the younger generation, this, the younger generation, that. Like, let's honor the younger generation for a moment. 
what do you see in the kids that you work with that gives you hope? They're very aware of everything. I mean, they know what's going on in the world and they, they have their ideas and their thoughts about it. And they can discuss how they feel about certain things that are going on in the world and the art world. And I think the future is bright. I know a lot of people, oh, they're all on their phones. That's all they do. But they're learning things on their phones, too. They're in tune with what's going on in the world. And, and they can differentiate between certain things as long as you teach them how to differentiate between reality and fake and what is important and what is not important. They'll listen. They want to learn. And that's what, what's good about the generation today. They're, they're very in tune with everything. Well, and isn't that the power and the value of arts education and the arts in terms of teaching kids and people generally how to think critically and right. how to see? Right, definitely. How to see and how to think. And so so hopefully, right, even though they're on their phones, right, if they're also taking your class and working with you and listening and learning and learning how to see and learning how to think, they're able to discern, right, the right. real from the fake and the hype from the truth. Definitely. Yes. That's all we can ask for. I mean, have students that are socially conscious and also visually conscious and, and creating and trying to, I'm not asking for everybody to go change the world or anything like that, but know that your art means something. Yeah. Yeah. The two things that I wish, if I could wave a magic wand and do just two things <laughs> with the magic wand in terms of you know education, I would make it happen and make it mandatory or make it a real that kids from K through 12 get mm -hmm. foreign language uh, training as well as, or I should say language training, we should call it foreign language training, but you know what I mean? Like language mm -hmm. training, arts training, and, and sort of design thinking, you know, yes. from K through 12. Yeah, me too. I just believe that the country would be a fundamentally different place 50 years from now, 30 years from now, if all of those kids got that kind of training K through 12. I agree. I agree. Because after, I know here in Florida, a lot of middle schools, grades six through eight, don't even have art programs. It's like elementary, they have art, and then middle, it's done. And then they have the option to take it in high school if they go to a high school that offers art. So, you know, I wish it was mandatory. But then again, you run into the problem where the curriculum isn't streamlined, where we teach one thing and then another thing, and then it, it changes every school year. So what we end up having is a student maybe doing the same thing every grade level. Sometimes it depends on the art teacher. There's no like unified curriculum where, okay, they learn this and then they learn this next and then they learn this next. You know, every art teacher teaches what they want their student to know. So that's how we, where we are. Wow. Okay. So that's a key, powerful observation, right? Because mm -hmm. You know, I'm not an educator. I don't know. But I'm guessing they don't have that problem in science and math and English, right? right? Like, right. at least on the local or state level, there mm -hmm. is a consistent, holistic kind of uh, pr approach right. that brings the kid along through the years, through the subject. And, and mm -hmm. in the arts, there is no comprehensive, unified program. No, no. They call it pacing guides. There's no pacing guides for art. There's no pacing guides for music. And we just kind of teach what we want our kids to know and send them off to the next grade. Do you level. think that that is, is that a Florida thing or do you think that that is the case in every state? It's a nationwide thing. It's just, you can't, it's, there's so much content in art. It's impossible to say you must teach this and you must teach this. It's difficult to do. I mean, there are, they call them standards that we follow, like, elements of art, teach mm -hmm. about line, mm -hmm. but it doesn't tell you, you have to teach it this way, or you have to teach it when they're in second grade or when they're in third grade. It's just, they're there, they're guidelines and you follow them. How, like, let's say I decided to do a lesson on Frida Kahlo. I would pick whatever guidelines I want to use. Okay. We're going to learn about history. We're going to learn about a famous work of art. We're going to connect it to our community. And, you know, that's how we kind of do it in the art curriculum. Right. So there may be some some guidelines, some guardrails, a kind of a outline, mm -hmm. but there's so much choice or so much yeah. to pull from or pick from in that right. within those guidelines that it's very hard to get a certain consistency or unified approach, I guess. Right, right, right. 
Yeah, man. I mean, you know, it's it's a fascinating thing because look, I bring it up because I went to public school. I grew up outside Chicago, but we had, a, you know, it was a working class neighborhood, working class community, but we had a great tax base. And so we had a great arts program. So, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up with music and art all through basically K through 12. And, mm-hmm. and I am who I am because of real largely because of those classes. And so, you know, it breaks my heart when I see now the school I went to, they don't have those programs like they used to, wow. you know, yeah. and what's happening right to those minds and to those souls when they're not getting that, that training. I mean, you know, if somebody asked the political uprising, you know, January 6th in the, in, in, mm-hmm. in the Capitol, you know, one has to ask, like, would that have happened if all those people had had arts education K through six? <laughs> Who knows? You know, I know, would, right? <laughs> would, would that have happened? You know, right. you know, probably, you know, I mean, who knows? But it's, you know, there's a book, do you know, the book Orbiting the Giant Hairball by uh, Gordon McKenzie? No, no, I don't. Okay. All right. So you're about to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I reference this book a lot. I mean, some of the listeners on the podcast are probably thinking to themselves, oh, geez, here he goes again. <laughs> but this book is really is meaningful to me. So Gordon McKenzie was the chief creative officer at Hallmark Cards. Okay. And Orbiting the Giant Hairball was a book that he wrote about how a creative person, you know, like him or anyone who works in a corporate kind of environment, you know, how can you maintain your artistic integrity, Mm. you know, when you work for the man in a big company kind of a thing, right? And so it's a great book. It's not that big. It's so thick, whatever. Not a tough, easy read. But there's a story that he tells that's actually very poignant in the book. And the story he tells is because as a creative leader who wanted to give back, he would go and speak to school kids when schools around his you know, state or whatever. And uh, he always started his talks with the same question, right? So whether it was kindergarten or third grade or fifth grade, you know, he always asked the question, who here is an artist? And in kindergarten, every kid would raise their hand. (laughs) I'm an artist. I'm an artist. Well, you know where this is going, right? So by third grade, he would say literally in the book, he talks by third grade, there'd be one kid in the back. Yeah, I'm an artist. Right. And so (laughs) we're doing something right to our kids, you know, K through three, fourth, Mm -hmm. whatever, that's just like squeezing out this very natural born, you know, bred, uh, born and bred kind of uh, natural inclination towards creativity, you know. Right. Because before kids can even write, they can draw things. They can draw a circle with some lines and say, this is mom and dad, you know. And uh, I feel like as they get older, they become so aware of realism. That if it doesn't look realistic, they're like, oh, I don't know, I'm horrible. I can't do this. I can't draw it to look realistic. And I feel that's where I try to like, no, it doesn't have to look real. You drew it. It's yours. Take ownership. This is your work of art. It doesn't have to look like anybody else's. And it doesn't have to look realistic. You drew this. And, you know, some are with it. Some are like, no, it has to look real. And some are like, okay, sure, fine. I'll, I'll work with what I got here. So it's, it's this realism trend that things have to look super realistic and how, you, how it should look. I mean, if you're doing a commission, yeah, of course, you want it to look like the person or the object or the thing. But it's the realism that they get stuck in. If it doesn't look real, they don't feel like they're a great artist anymore. Yeah, it's like to your point about medical illustration. Fine. If you're, you know, if you're illustrating a medical book, absolutely get it right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? right. It's like you definitely want <laughs> the illustrations to right. reflect the reality. But when it comes to art, right, all bets are off. But it is this pressure that I guess maybe it's our culture of standardization, you know, like I yeah. don't know, from an educational standpoint, if we're trying to standardize, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I always, you know, push my kids. Doesn't have to look this way. It doesn't have to look like how I did it. Doesn't have to look like how your classmate did it. You did it and take ownership of it. Well, I'm, you know, I'm just so happy to know that those kids have you. You know, yeah. they're so lucky whether they, whether they realize it or not. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. So, what do you, as an artist, 
one of the things that I like to talk to artists about, because there's, you know, usually such a focus on the artistic process, the creative process, the the artwork, the art object, the the output, you know, which is absolutely the most interesting part. Don't get me wrong. But for artists, you know, every artist is different. Every artist has different motivations. I mean, you're in a situation where, you know, and I have no, no idea, you know, what art educators make these days, but you do have an income, right? Like you... Mm-hmm. You have a job that pays you. Yes, it's in the arts and everything, which is great. You're doing what you love and you're helping kids and giving back. And that's so powerful. That's way beyond any paycheck in terms of the feeling it gives you, I'm sure. But but as an artist, right? I mean, so many artists don't have a job, right? Like the wealth, right. their, their full-time job is making art, right? They don't mm-hmm. maybe have a steady paycheck. So it's frustrating. It's challenging, you know, to make ends meet as an artist trying to earn a living. Because turns out, if artists are trying to make a living with their art, then they are in business, right? Right. If artists are making art just for the joy of art, they don't care about selling their art. Okay, that's a different motivation, you know. Or if right. an artist has a job that pays their bills, then that the, it takes the pressure off, right? In terms of you know maybe trying to sell their art. I mean, mm-hmm. when it comes to earning a living as an artist, I mean, what are some of your challenges or frustrations, or what are some of the things that you've learned that have helped you be more successful as an artist? I mean, is there any advice? Like, I guess, you know, what I like to ask sometimes is like, you know, if you could tell your younger self anything, right, about life as an artist, like what what advice would you give your younger self in terms of what it means to be an artist, earn a living as an artist, be in business as an artist? I think I would tell my younger self to continuously change and don't be afraid of changing like in terms of what you're doing. Like sometimes it's easy to get stuck on uh, something that works and something you know people will buy and and you end up not wanting to change. And I feel like, I mean, me, I don't sell work a lot. It's not like my work is like off the charts selling and everything like that. But what my motivation is, I want to share these narratives with people. I want to share these things that people can relate to and look at and say, oh, I really like what I'm seeing. And if I'm making money off of it, I feel like commissions, I really don't like doing commissions because, you know, the people are kind of telling you what to do. Like, oh, I want it this way and I want it that way. And it's kind of like pressure on me. It's like, oh, okay, I got to make it look like this and I got to put this there because this is what they want. So I'm not really big on, oh, commissions. Like, oh, I got to do commission. But I guess take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes you'll be successful. Sometimes it's the people you know. Sometimes it's the styles that gets you noticed. I mean, I don't know. This one's tough. This one's tough. Because, you know, not all people are going to like your work, you know? Yeah, it is a tough one because, well, it is and it isn't, right? Because, I mean, I think part of it is about understanding what you want as an artist. You know, like I totally respect artists that uh, want to make art for art's sake and and don't want to try to sell it. And then, you know, then there are those artists that want to make what they want to make and whether it sells or not. And that's totally mm-hmm. awesome too. That's totally fine. But then there are the artists who who's, who absolutely hang a shingle and say, you know, I'm in business, you know, business, buy my art. Yeah. I want to make money making art. But once you say that, <laughs> that is a tough situation because how do you reconcile what you want to make with what people want to buy? Right. Right. And that's it. And, you know, and I think it's one of the reasons why I like doing the podcast is, is to tap into different artists points of view or philosophy or ethos around this, because also, you know, artists can share and it's like, Oh, well, you know, this works for me or I tried that and that never worked. And because a lot of times being an artist, it's it's a lonely existence, you know? And, uh, And you don't get to share those ideas. But what I love about your situation is that you kind of have the best of, of all worlds, right? Like you, you're working with kids and you're educating and you're giving back and you're, and you're feeding minds and, and, and that feeds you spiritually as well as artistically. But then you get to come home and say, you know, well, no, I'm going to make the art I want to make. Right. And if it sells fine, if it doesn't sell fine, but like you're, you know, the smile Every time you smile, you light up the room. Like you have the, the most electric smile. Thank you. I'm sure you hear that all the time. And that, that comes from a happy place. You know what I mean? 
Like, like it yeah. wouldn't, it wouldn't be electric and light the room up if you really did weren't happy inside, you know? Right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're lighting up the room over here and I'm, I'm in California <laughs> and you're in Florida. I love it. I love it. It's a beautiful it. smile. Well, but I, you know, it's funny. I don't mean to like harp on this, but one of the things that I, you know, earlier, this idea that you could link up with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. While we were talking just now, I was like Googling, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, oh, yeah? like finding out the organization <laughs> that there's this photo of this kid, beautiful kid, you know, I don't know his story, but he's like right here, you know, and he's battling leukemia, you know, it looks like JJ, leukemia survivor, mm-hmm. you know, and just this idea that you could reach out to them and, and form some kind of relationship or partnership where you're creating portraits of of these kids or or any of leukemia survivors, you know, or patients that just, I don't know. I mean, just, I I love that because it's such a good fit for you because you're coming from an authentic place, you know? Yes. That's definitely something because I used to volunteer with them in college. I used to volunteer with the Cancer Society. Oh, you did? Yeah. But not in like an artsy way, just, you know, helping with like brochures and things like that. Yeah, but that's definitely something well, I can get into. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something you can get into. That's it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's got to come from a real place, you know, like it's hard. I, I totally get what you mean about commissions, because it's like when as soon as suddenly somebody asks you for commission, I mean, it comes from a place of money, not a place of, right. of that you what you really want to do. You know, it's like right, suddenly right, it's right. a design job, right. which is different. I mean, I, I enjoy it. It's just, you know, there's like that stress, you know, yeah. I got to get this look right. I got to get this to look like the person and I got to get it right because they're paying me for this. So I got to, you know, get it right. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get it right. Well, I'll tell you what, Nadia Duff, you are getting it right as far as I can tell. (laughs) Thank you. I just love your energy. You're just such a positive, lovely human being. I'm so grateful to have you as part of the Not Real Art family. I mean, to have you as part of our 2021 class is just an honor. And we're just so excited for you. I'm excited too. Yeah, well, it, it was tough too. You know, 827 applications. Yeah, I read. I saw the podcast. Ooh, I listened. It was. Uh, <laughs> I was like, whoa! It was that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Holy shit! It was like what? You know, because in all candor, like I had, we I started it three years ago, right? So the last two years, we had five judges. You know, uh-huh. that was plenty. And then when the deadline was getting, of course, you know, everybody procrastinates, but nobody procrastinates more than an artist, right? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> artists procrastinate. The artists are professional procrastinators oh because goodness. the deadline was May 1. And I kid you not, out of those 827, I think 500 of them came in the last three days. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, it was crazy. Just in the last, like, three or four or five days, like, like mm-hmm. I just saw, like, it was just like, ching, 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 ching. <laughs> the numbers going up and up and up. And then I was like, whoa. So May 1, the deadline ended. And then I ended up, you know, we ended up with 827. I was like, oh my God, I've only got five judges. Like, how are we going to do this? (laughs) And so I had to scramble and, you know, make some phone calls. And and I thought, well, if I can get five more judges, we'll have Mm -hmm. 10. And then everybody can kind of get their little portfolio of, you know, 85 artists. and, Uh And then we can kind of break it out like that, you know, make it more manageable. For everybody, you know, because I was sweating, you know, I was just like, man, are we going <laughs> to do this? Because, of course, you know, not, you don't just want to get it done. You want to do it right. And you right, want to make sure right. everybody's got a fair shake. So, yeah. And I, you know, shout out to the judges because, you know, they really did a great job. But it was quite something. It was a tough field. And you, my friend, rose above the rest. <laughs> and uh, and we just thrilled to have you. And But you're like, you're one of those rare artists. I don't know that too many artists could decide to hang up the paintbrush and, and go to medical school and become a doctor. Like, oh, <laughs> like you, yeah. you, uh, your fallback plan, your backup plan is medicine. That's, that's yeah. a very rare artist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just how it happened. <laughs> hey, when you're smart, you're smart. I have an artist friend of mine that she's a great artist. She hosts the podcast from time to time. Maybe you've seen her. Her name's Aaron Yoshi and a Japanese American artist. But she's the only artist I know that actually has an MBA and Mm. she didn't become an artist until after business school. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) she's like, I said, you're the only artist I know with an MBA, you know, and she's like, yeah, I probably am the only artist with an MBA. (laughs) 
I said, well, clearly you're an artist. You were not very good at business because if you had, oh, I guess yeah. you would have stayed in business. Yeah, and but, I wish yeah. I was good at business. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> uh, well, you are because you know what? So much about business is about relationships and trying to put good, positive energy in the world and doing the right thing. And that's what you're doing, Nadia Duff. And I'm Thank just, you. you know, keep it up and more to come. You know, one of the things I wanted to tell you that I didn't actually share with you, but in like early August, I think second week of August, we are doing a video projection here in Los Angeles at a place called uh, Helms Bakery or the Helms Bakery District. And the Helms Bakery District, so it's a really cool, hip, like, design center, but it's also mm -hmm. got, like, your restaurants and furniture stores and, you know, like, different kind of decor kind of shops and things. Okay. But, you know, it used to be a bakery years ago. It was Helms Bakery. If you grew up in Los Angeles in the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, you knew Helms Bakery. They were famous for their little bakery trucks and whatever. And so, but anyway, 20 years ago or so, somebody bought the bakery, turned it into this like really cool design center with hip restaurants and stuff. And so they have this program called Projecting Possibilities. Mm -hmm. And for a week, they will feature an artist. They'll have this video projection and the video projection plays all night and it showcases the artist. Well, we partnered with them last year. We're doing it again this year. And so second week of August, we're going to be doing this video projection that will be featuring you and the other five grant winners. Awesome. Wonderful. And it'll show your work. It'll show your beautiful face. It'll show your name. <laughs> it'll show, you know, where people can find you. So it's a, yet awesome. again, a way that we want to help you and all the winners promote your work and tell your story and so on and so forth. So the video is actually being created right now. You'll see it online, certainly, and we'll be capturing it on camera as well. Mm -hmm. So you'll, you'll get to see it from afar, I love it. but it's going to be a really cool thing to be able to celebrate you. Wonderful. That's awesome. I'll tell my friends in California to go look at it. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Tell them to come. They'll, if, person, if they're in yeah. LA, they'll know Helms Bakery District. They'll yeah. Know, yeah. Come, come. And then they can get photos of, of them right. with you and you could, uh, yes. you know, you, you, they can share the love. <laughs> there you go. Wonderful. Yes. That's awesome. So it. Nadia Duff, before we go tonight, I just am so grateful for all your time. And of course, I'll put it all on the website and everything. But before we go, tell our listeners where they can find you online and on, on your social channels. All right. You can find me on Instagram at Nadi underscore art, N-A-D-Y underscore A-R-T. You can also find my website, Nadia Duff Art dot com and it's the same on facebook nadiadefart.com just look my name up and on google and you'll find me everywhere love that thank you for that do people call you naughty is that a little uh, nickname or is my that just does. something you did to <laughs> ah, okay only mom <laughs> it's, it's a simplified it's simplified i mean anybody could call me naughty <laughs> <laughs> i go by either yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. I love it. Well, Nadia Duff, you're the best. Thanks so much for being with us today and Thank being part you. of our Not Real Art family. Thank you, Scott. You got it. More to come. More to come, people. Good Thank night. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Bye. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please press the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at Not Real Art World.